You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. What's a fern like you doing on a plane like this? Needed to uproot myself for a bit, darling. I know the feeling. I'm green. Mo green. Enchanté, Ms. Green. The name is Vrond. James Vrond. International fern of mystery. <laughs> Your soil is looking a little dry. Would you care for a drink, Mr. Frond? Of water. Shaken, not stirred. Coming right up. You know, I'm actually on my way to Brains on HQ. Have you heard of it? Brains on HQ, you say? I don't think so. But I have a funny feeling you won't be getting there, Mr. Frond. Did you just pull phenomenally large scissors out of your tight-fitting green trousers, Miss Green? I did, Mr. Frond. Because it's time to give your fern fronds a little trim. I don't think so. How are you going to escape? Ferns don't have feet. You're not going anywhere, double O Stemmin. Yes, but you forgot one thing. You are about to step on that large green button on the floor. <gasps> I just stepped on the large green button on the floor. Which just opened this handy little trap door next to me. Time to activate my emergency parachute and let these frogs fly! <laughs> Get you next time, Mr. Frond. Just you wait. You're listening to Brains On from APM Studios. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co host today is Maya from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Hi, Maya. Hi, Molly. And today we're talking ferns. Ferns are a kind of plant. They don't have flowers, but they do have what are called fronds. So, Maya, how would you describe what a fern looks like? Small, spiky plants with long leaves. Yeah, when I think about it, I sort of think it's like if a feather was a plant. And ferns are super cool because they're found all over the world and in all kinds of climates. So, Maya, you live in Alabama. Do you have any ferns near you? I have a few ferns. Most of them are, like, planted, not really wild. Mm -hmm. I know you're something of a gardener yourself. Can you tell me your favorite part about gardening? Mm, Playing in the water. Are you using a hose, a can? Like, how do you water your plants? Sometimes we use cans, but for the first time, like, when we plant them, we use hoses. Awesome. And what kind of plants do you have in your garden? We have a hibiscus tree, two of them, some flowers. And do you grow any, like, vegetables or anything for eating? Uh, Maybe this year we will. Cool. Okay, let's say there's other kids out there who are interested in helping garden. What advice would you give them? Like, make sure you water them almost every day, even when it's hot. Maybe water them, like, two times a day to make sure it gets more water. Mm. Good advice. And what's your favorite thing about hanging out with plants? Mm, Watching them grow. Mm. It's very calming. Like, 
being outside in nature. Those are all really good reasons. Well, this whole episode is inspired by this excellent question sent to us by Gideon from New York City. How did ferns survive the dinosaur extinction, and are they the same ferns that we see now? That is an excellent question. You may have heard that ferns have been around since before the dinosaurs, and that's true. But dinosaurs are extinct and ferns aren't. So we're going to tackle Gideon's excellent questions by looking at the second part first. Are the ferns we see today the same as the ones the dinos lived with? The answer is yes and no. That's a fern friend with an excellent name, Weston Testo. That is an excellent name. He studies plants at the University of Vermont, and he's also the director of the Pringle Herbarium. It's a museum dedicated to plants. Okay, so Weston, what do you mean when you say the answer is yes and no? So ferns have been around for a very, very long time. There's evidence that ferns have been around probably at least 360 million years. That means they were around even before the dinosaurs. But most of the species that we have around today are are much younger, so they seem to have evolved much more recently um, than the age of the dinosaurs. But um, there are some species of ferns out there that we think have been basically unchanged since the time of the dinosaurs, which I think is really exciting. Okay, I get the yes and the no now. Yes, there are some species that were here when the dinos were, but not all ferns we see today have been around that long. One of the oldest fern species still around today is a cinnamon fern. You can see them all over North and Central America. They have brown, shaggy, cinnamon-colored stalks that grow up from the middle of the fronds. If you see one of these, we recommend pretending you're a dinosaur, at least for a little while. Here's my dino impression. What's yours, Maya? Rawr. Oh, yeah. Yours is much more fierce than mine. Excellent. And in addition to being old, ferns are everywhere. They love humidity, like in tropical places. They also do great in forests here in North America. But you can also find them in lots of other places, too. There are many, many ferns that grow in deserts, which I think is really uh, surprising to a lot of folks. But thinking within the United States, for example, one of the the states that has, has the highest richness of ferns would be um, New Mexico. And the same species of ferns can be found in parts of the world that are really far away from each other. You see the same species of ferns in far-off places like Europe and Asia. This isn't because humans have planted them all over the world, like, say, tomatoes or potatoes. Yeah, ferns have become world travelers all on their own. And it's all thanks to the special way they grow and make more ferns. Lots of plants need pollinators to help them make more plants. Like, a bee needs to take pollen from one flower to another before the plant can make seeds. But ferns don't need any help from pollinators. That's because they make something called spores. Spores are like teeny tiny seeds the size of a piece of dust that ferns release into the wind. And those blow around in the wind, and if they land it in the right kind of habitat, they'll produce a a new fern there. And because of that, ferns are really good at getting around the world. One of the most interesting experiments I've ever heard of is researchers put double-sided tape on little microscope slides and hung them off airplane wings and flew those airplanes way, way up in the air. And they picked up lots of spores. If you're ever in an airplane going a really long distance, you can imagine that there are ferns worth blowing around way up in the air around you. 
Spores are international travelers. That is so cool. And that surprises you? When I exist, James Frond, international fern of mystery? Excuse me, how did you get in here? James Frond has his ways, and they are top secret. Okay then, moving on. Okay, fine, I'll tell you. How would you react if I told you there was a network of top-secret fern agents underground? Hmm, probably like this. Gasp! And I'd probably go, what? Well, there is a network of top-secret fern agents underground. Gasp! What? Hmm, since you were honest about your reactions, I feel comfortable telling you more. Yes! Molly, be cool. All right, go on. If you want, you know, whatever. We ferns have what are called rhizomes. They're underground stems, and that's where our leaves come from. And many of us have intricate, creeping networks of these rhizomes that can stay alive, even if all of our leaves are gone. So, even if you got munched on by an animal or your leaves got burned in a forest fire, you could easily grow back from those underground stems? You're right on the money, honey. Okay, that is some super secret spy stuff right there. We ferns are unstoppable. We've survived not one, not two, but three mass extinction events. Whoa, those are times millions of years ago when most species on the planet went extinct and only a few survived. One of those was the mass extinction event that wiped out the dinosaurs. Gotta say, we ferns don't miss the dinos. They never watched where they were going, and they had such big feet. It's pretty cool that ferns have outlived so many other species. I have yet to meet a foe I couldn't vanquish. And by vanquish, do you mean outlive by staying very still and using your evolutionary advantages to survive? I'll never tell. That's for me to know and you to fern to out. And with that, I must be off. was thrilling. But you know what might be even more thrilling? It's time for the... Here it is. Hmm, Maya, what do you think? Hmm... I believe it's like chopping something hard like celery or like a keyboard. Both excellent guesses, both very different. What made you think it might be chopping celery? Because I heard like the knife hitting a Mm. wooden cutting board or a cutting board. Yeah, that's a really good guess. And, And what parts of it made you think it might be a keyboard? At first, I thought I heard, like, clicking on a keyboard. Okay, very interesting. Well, we'll hear it again. Give you another chance to guess and hear the answer at the end of the show. We're working on an episode about cavities, those tiny holes we sometimes get in our teeth. Nobody likes getting cavities, but luckily, brushing your teeth helps keep them from forming. So we want to hear from you. If you could design the toothbrush of the future, what would it be like? Maya, what would your toothbrush of the future be able to do? Mine will have... Tiny bristles and chewed out water, like anything you put in the capsule, like mouth freshener or like 
mouthwash and like put it in those tiny holes that you get to clean them out. Oh, nice. So it's like everything in one convenient package that you would need. Mm-hmm. I love it. Do you, are you a fan of brushing your teeth? Yes. Excellent. I love to hear it. What is your preferred flavor of toothpaste? Probably watermelon. Oh, excellent. Excellent choice. Well, listeners, record yourself describing your super snazzy toothbrush of the future and send it to us at brainson.org slash contact. And while you're there, you can send us mystery sounds, drawings, and questions. Like this one. My question is, how does concrete get harder? Again, that's brainson.org slash contact. And keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Sitka Seafood Market. Seafood is a great source of long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, which can support heart health. Salmon is one of my favorite foods, and so it's so delightful when a box of amazing quality, beautiful salmon arrives at my door. Sitka Seafood Market sources from small boat fishermen and community-based processors that take great care to provide the highest quality seafood that is wild-caught, sustainably, and ethically harvested. And one of the best parts is Sitka Seafood Market offers a variety of flexible subscriptions that can come monthly or every other month. It's super convenient, so if you're going on vacation, you can pause or you can cancel any time. I know you'll love it as much as I do. Go to SitkaSeafoodMarket.com and use code MOLLY35 for $35 off your first order of $100 or more. That's SitkaSeafoodMarket.com, promo code MOLLY35 for $35 off your first order of $100 or more. That's SitkaSeafoodMarket.com. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. Brains on. You're listening to Brains On. I'm Maya. And I'm Molly. Okay, so we just found out that some of the ferns on Earth today were actually around when the dinosaurs were. And that ferns can spread super far thanks to their teeny tiny spores. Plus, they can live in all sorts of places. But we still need to answer this part of Gideon's question. How did ferns survive the dinosaur extinction? Oh, such a great question, and one that scientists are actually trying to answer right now. Hey, it's Sand and Titan. Everyone's favorite Brains On producer. I so admire your confidence. I do too. Anyway, I'm so excited to share this new play I've been working on about this very topic. But first, uh, let me wheel in my cart of highly trained polypodiopsida thespians. 
your what? Polypodiopsida means fern, and thespians are actors. You know, ferns who act. Molly, Maya, meet the world's most talented slash only all-fern theater troupe. We've got Fern Drescher, Sporlando Bloom, Jane Fronda, and Keanu Leaves. Say hi, everyone. Um, I don't hear anything. Oh, that's because they're already in character. They're very method. In character as? As ferns. Sandin, they are ferns. Yes, they truly are any role they step into. Oh, you should have seen their production of Wicked. Jane Fronda literally turned herself green for the role of the witch Elphaba. Oh, it looked so real. Anyway, my fern friends are going to reenact key moments of the dinosaur extinction in a play called <clears throat> As the World Ferns. A new play written, produced, directed, choreographed, scored, financed, reviewed, and wildly praised by me, Sandin Totten. First, you'll need some background, so let me tell you about a trip I took to meet our play's scientific advisor and fellow fern aficionado, Reagan Dunn. Ferns are very cool for a lot of reasons. Reagan studies super old plants at the La Brea Tar Pits Museum in Los Angeles. They've lived through a lot of different events in history, and they're still here today. I met Reagan at her lab to learn about how ferns survived the big extinction that happened 66 million years ago. That's the one that wiped out most of the dinosaurs. Right? It's a dramatic tale. Perfect for a play that will no doubt sweep the Tonys this year. We can't go back in time to see what happened, but Reagan says there are lots of ferny clues about what happened buried deep underground. Ferny clues? Yeah, stuff like ancient fern leaves and fern spores. You know, those teeny tiny specks that ferns use to make more ferns. Reagan and her team, they dig up these clues, put them on thin sheets of glass called slides, and look at them under a microscope. She showed me some of these slides using a very big microscope at her lab. Here is a bunch of microscope slides that have been processed. And they're stacked up here. There's 100 slides here from our, one of our sites. Yeah, it's like this little tray full of all these tiny sheets of glass. Each one is pretty thin, and it has this, like, almost like it looks like a little cloud of red specks on it. What are the red specks? So those red specks are the spores. Spores from ancient ferns. Each slide gives us a picture of what Earth was like at a given moment in history. Reagan first showed me one from just before the big extinction, during a time called the Cretaceous. The slide was full of these fern spores, as well as pieces of lots of other plants. All right, so 66 million years ago in the Cretaceous, life was great. It was really warm. There was high carbon dioxide, and there were a lot of plants growing everywhere that the dinosaurs were chomping on. It was a great time to be alive for plants. But then all that changed. A giant asteroid came hurtling to Earth from space. It smashed into the Yucatan Peninsula near Mexico. That sent massive tsunamis flooding the coasts. It sparked wildfires that ravaged the land. It kicked up dust that blocked out the sun, making things super chilly and dark. Very quickly, around 75% of all life went extinct. <laughs> Poof. I'm dead. 
But what happened to our heroes? Spotlight on the ferns. Oh, that was brilliant, y'all. I could see the fear on your fern faces. Especially you, Keanu Leaves. Bravo, make sure you channel that exact same energy for previews. Wow, 75% of all life? That's huge. Yeah, and it wasn't just dinosaurs. It also wiped out giant marine reptiles like the Ichthyosaurus and huge shelled creatures called ammonites. 70% of all plant life, too. It was grim. Next, Reagan showed me a slide with the microscope that had stuff on it from just after the meteorite impact. Unlike the last slide, this one had hardly any signs of plant life on it. Except for one. What we see, if we look really closely at samples, teeny tiny little samples, are the spores of ferns. So ferns were growing in these ecosystems prior to the event, but after the event, that's pretty much what you see. They really dominated the landscape. Picture this. The curtain rises on a new day. The bones of giant dinos are strewn across the stage. There are charred husks of trees. It's silent, still. But then, the lights shine on one plant that's still standing. Our protagonists, the ferns. Yes, yes, great frond work, Sporlando Bloom. Fern Drescher, give me more resilient courage. Oh, yes, that's perfect, perfect. You know, I'm really buying these performances from the ferns. I'm telling you, they're gonna be stars. So for hundreds of years after the asteroid hit, ferns were the main plant growing on Earth. It was a ferntopia, if you will. But another cool thing about ferns is they're really good at making healthy soil. So these ferns, they ruled the world, but they were kind and benevolent and generous rulers. Over time, they made rich, fertile soil that helped other plants come back and new ones evolve. Those plants fed bugs, small mammals ate those bugs, and bigger mammals ate the smaller ones, and soon a whole new world was born. Wow, all thanks to ferns? Well, not totally, but they played a huge role in helping the world recover. We humans might not be here today if it weren't for ferns. Huh, I never thought of it like that. So how did they do it? How did they survive when so many other plants and animals didn't? Great question. We don't totally know all the pieces. But we do know that ferns have a lot of great traits that make them born survivors. You already mentioned some of them, but I'll let Reagan recap. Ferns are great survivors because they can grow in very low-light environments. One. Secondly, they have rhizomes, or these stems that grow underground, that can sprout and grow new plants when they've been disturbed by a fire or like a lawnmower or something like that, or a dinosaur chomping away at them. Third, they reproduce by tiny little spores. And so a tiny spore that is just like a quarter of the width of your hair, one single strand of hair, is all it needs to produce a whole fern plant. And so all a spore needs is a little wet spot on the ground. A spore can land there and then um, generate a plant in a very short time period. Even with all these superpowers of survival, we know things were really bad after the meteor hit Earth. There were fires, dark skies, cold weather. 
Reagan and her team wanted to know more about how ferns survived all that. So they decided to recreate the extinction. How do you do that? Yeah, that sounds dangerous. You do it on a very small scale. They took a greenhouse and stuffed it with plants, similar to the kinds of plants you would find in the Cretaceous period. There are seven different species of plants, including redwoods and dawn redwoods, and several types of ferns and even palm trees, because palm trees were also growing at that time. They also made the air and temperature in that greenhouse a lot like what it was back in the days of the dinosaurs. And so we let those plants just grow in this really nice environment. Everything was happy. It was warm. And then we decided to simulate the impact. To do that, they painted the walls so very little light could get in. They lowered the temperature inside the greenhouse until it was super chilly. And some plants even were treated with acid. We painted it on with paintbrushes because that's one of the things that happened after the impact was that acid rain rained out, and that has pretty detrimental effects on on leaves. Whoa, painting with acid? This is an extreme experiment. Totally. I know, right? Then they monitored the plants for six months to see how they did. Well, it was pretty surprising. Every plant did their own thing. So some plants had no problems. Redwoods, they don't care. You know, they just continued to grow. Other plants that lose their leaves, they lost their leaves immediately and uh, stayed sort of dormant, uh, like, a, like a maple tree when it loses its leaves in winter. And then uh, a lot of the plants died. Reagan and her team are still studying what happened in that greenhouse. They're hoping to learn things about how the ferns used water during this harsh period, how they responded to not having much light, and more. She says unlocking the secrets of how ferns survive is important. Because right now, our climate is changing. Greenhouse gases are warming up the planet, and that's going to affect a lot of plants. Ferns might just teach us how to help those other plants survive, too. That's really cool. Ferns really do so much for the world. Yeah, so how does your play end? Well, it ends with a glimpse into the future. It's the year 2100. The stage is bathed in a rusty red light. The landscape is bare, rocky, alien. We're on Mars. Humans have just set up a colony, and they need a plant that can grow in extreme conditions, one that can help make rich soil for other plants to follow. We see a platform rise from center stage. It's lifting up, up, up. It's the ferns. Human astronauts stand around them, saluting the ferns for their bravery. That's your cue, guys. Look heroic. Oh, perfect. The music swells and... End scene. The curtain falls. The crowd goes wild. Yay! Ferns are amazing. We love you. We love you. This is the best play ever. Let's give it all the awards. I agree. Woo! Yeah! You know what? I'll totally go see this play. It does sound amazing. Yeah, we'll come opening night. Oh, uh, mm, I'm pretty sure it'll be sold out. But, um, maybe I can get you on a standby list or something? Now, I better get my ferns to their dressing room to rest. As you can imagine, a performance like that really takes it out of them. Of course. Thanks, Sandin. Bravo, ferns. Ferns are ancient plants that were around during the time of the dinosaurs, and they're still thriving today. They have underground networks of stems called rhizomes that allow them to grow back even if their tops are trampled or burned. 
and they spread by sending little things called spores into the air. Those spores can ride the wind far and wide before landing on some wet soil and growing into a whole new fern. Scientists are still trying to understand how ferns survived the last great extinction. What they learn could show us how to help other plants survive as our climate changes. That's it for this episode of Brains On. This episode was written by Molly Bloom and Sandin Tyne. It was produced by Rosie DuPont, Anna Goldfield, Aaron Waldesalassi, Anna Wegel, and Mark Sanchez. We had editing help from Shayla Farzan, sound design by Rachel Breeze, and we had engineering help from Derek Ramirez, Nick Golden, George Edmondson, and Elisa Beckwith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The executives in charge of APM Studios are Chandra Kavati, Alex Shaffer, and Joanne Griffith. Special thanks to my dad, Stewie Bloom. Brains On is a nonprofit public radio program. There are lots of ways to support the show. Head to brainson.org. While you're there, you can send us mystery sounds, drawings, and questions. And you can subscribe to our Smarty Pass. It gives you a special ticket to Brains On Universe bonus content, plus ad-free episodes. Okay, Maya, are you ready to listen to that mystery sound again? Yes. Okay, here it is. Think cutting celery or something hard. That is an excellent, excellent guess. I feel like it's a vegetable, though. Okay, celery or some vegetable being cut. I love it. Should we hear if you're right? Yes. Okay, here's the answer. My name is Samaya. I'm 11 years old. I live in Berkeley, California. That was the sound of me chopping celery. Stop. Maya, incredible ears. How do you feel? Awesome. So good. Oh, my gosh. I think this must be because you spend so much time with plants that you really understood what it sounds like when celery is being chopped. Mm -hmm. Or my mom cuts a lot of celery. (laughs) Or that, too. (laughs) Nice work. Amazing. Now it's time for the Brains Honor Roll. These are the kids who keep this show going with their questions, ideas, mystery sounds, drawings, and high fives. Kevin from Belfast, Alexander from Hawthorne, California, Cohen from Kansas City, Joshua from California, Kabir from Mumbai, Addie from New Jersey, Joel, Petra, and Vera from Hollywood, Maryland, Hudson and Lily from Surrey, British Columbia, Ethan from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Josie from Keeley, UK, Felipe and Cruz from Lincoln, California, Carter and Bennett from Round Rock, Texas, Skylar and Finn from Talent, Oregon, Hugo from Philadelphia, Vera and Jules from Dahlonega, Georgia, Merritt from Fort Lupton, Colorado, Maya from Marina Del Rey, California, Otis from Sydney, Australia, Maddie and Max from Brisbane, Australia, Finley and Luca from Montpelier, Vermont, Elliot from Tucson, Arizona, Ingrid from Neptune Beach, Florida, Alex from Silver Spring, Maryland, Simon, Caleb, and Ethan from Vashon, Washington, Maddie from Oklahoma City, Kyla from Ackworth, Georgia, Rio from Lottsburg, Virginia, Miriam from Durham, New Hampshire, Sayana from Bloomington, Indiana, Sophie from Arlington, Massachusetts, Clark and Witt from Macon, Georgia, Rin from Connecticut, Lily from Port Charlotte, Florida, Hannah from Tustin, California, Addie from Colorado, Caden from Jupiter, Florida, Charlotte, Hattie, and Eleanor from Arlington, Virginia, Roman from 
the Woodlands, Texas, Mylan from Landenburg, Pennsylvania, Thomas from Gillingham, England, Brayden and Camilla from Irvine, California, Nora and Aspen from Los Angeles, Julian and Penelope from Los Angeles, Jimmy from Columbia Station, Ohio, Randy from Torrance, California, Morgan from Portland, Oregon, Abby and Nathan from Medford, Massachusetts, Eli and Nora from Boston, Thomas from Ridgeville, South Carolina, Molly from Buffalo, New York, Tabitha from Victoria, British Columbia, Lachlan from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, Xavier from Kigali, Rwanda, Miranda from Ames, Iowa, Shiloa from Israel, and Shruti from Brisbane, Australia. We'll be back next week with an episode all about cavities and why we get them. Thanks for listening.